a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. One of the things that election cycles always do for us is reveal to us which voices we're listening to. Uh, you know, just on a, on a purely human level, we can see based on how we interact in discussion, um, which voices we're listening to of the media, right? You can just kind of approach someone and begin to hear phrases and buzzwords and go, oh, yep, this is their specific news source. Uh, and, and you just kind of know who someone is listening to. And we've been trained by social media to do a couple of things. One, to see something and to judge it quickly, right? Uh, that that one of the things that social media does is it's made to be a constant stream of information. You're not meant to really dwell on anything too long. You're meant to just kind of plow through it and go to the next one and respond and go to the next one and respond with these little hits of dopamine every time we do it. And in order to do that, um, they have curated for us things that will be uh, really either something we strongly agree with or that we strongly disagree with so that um, so that they can keep us engaged. Now, that behavior has spilled over into the other areas of our life, and so we, we consume news media in that same way. We look for things we strongly agree with or we strongly disagree with, and then we respond. We've been trained to be responders. Um, and we do respond. We respond to the, the, the voices that are around us in either a positive or a negative way. We either agree with them very strongly or we disagree with them very strongly. And so we have really gotten really skilled at, at discerning whose voices the people around us are listening to because typically they echo those voices. Now, uh, I'm not so much concerned with the external voices. I want to ask us a question, not who the people around us are listening to, but who are who are you listening to? Who am I listening to? And so let's look at something outside of the external, outside of the news media, and come into the quiet spaces in our own heart. Who are we listening to? What are the voices that have sway over our soul. And to, to determine this, I think we need to look a little bit at, uh, at the effects of those voices. And what I mean by this is what are the, the vices or the virtues that are present in our lives? Do we experience um, peace in all circumstances or do we find always something to worry about, something to be anxious over? These are the, the signs of the voices that we're listening to. And I, I see in my own life, in previous election cycles, this tendency towards the anxiety and the worry and the fear and the recognizing that if things don't go my way, dot, 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 then everything in the world is at a loss. But we're being beckoned into something deeper than that. Uh, Jesus said to his apostles, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Notice 
that that take heart, I've overcome the world is not going to manifest itself in a way that's going to prevent them from the suffering they endure, right? Each of those that he said that to, with the exception, the notable exception of St. John, they were all martyred, right? Each of them experienced uh, the, a glory for the kingdom of God that does not look like the glory here on earth. Each of them uh, laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel, and it made a difference eventually, but uh, in terms of, of the, the surrounding culture of the world, but it it wasn't something that they were able to be uh, triumphalist as they looked around them in in their time. And so they were able to do this because of the voices they were listening to. They were listening to the voice of Christ and to the voice of the Father and to the promptings of the Holy Spirit within them that gave them the the words to say, first of all, that's a promise, uh, but also gave them the, um, the peace to endure when everything looked like it was lost. And so this, honestly, this election cycle has been really quite peaceful for me as I have shut off uh, systematically the voices that are drawing me into anxiety and turning my attention and drawing my attention more and more to the voice of the Father. Now, here's the temptation and here's the trick. Um, I grew up in in a kind of a charismatic background that spent a lot of time focusing on what is the Holy Spirit saying. And it was amazing how often quote unquote, the Holy Spirit would speak in language that that sounded a whole lot like um, like the voices around us, right? It's very easy for us to say, well, I'm going to interpret scripture now according to, hey, God says we're going to overcome, so we're going to overcome in this way. And we can then take that into the politics and everything else and, and go right back into that triumphalism. And this is not what we are beckoned by Christ to do, right? He didn't say to the apostles, take heart, I've overcome the world. So then they go, oh, well, now we can stand up and uh, stand up to the powers that be and call what for because God's on our side and we're going to defeat them. But really, it's, it's quite the opposite. He's calling us to a place of security in, in his accompaniment. He is with us in the middle of that suffering uh, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart. Take heart right now where you are as you look around and see the things that are distressing to you. Take heart because Christ is with us in the midst of this, will not leave us, will not abandon us, will not abandon you, whether that be a political uh, turmoil or whether that be other things going on in your life that are drawing you into despair or drawing you into anxiety. You are not walking through this alone. And the saints, we can look to the saints because each of them have walked through these difficulties as well. We can ask for their intercession. We can rely on the fact that they did overcome. And so we can see the voice that God is is speaking is one that is calling us to peace, a peace that passes all understanding. I think sometimes we we want to reason our way uh, into a victory, right? We want to say, well, I'm going to kind of examine every angle of this, and then I'm going to find a way to win. Well, there are certain things that can't 
be reasoned. And reason is important, but there is a, a, a piece that, that passes and surpasses all understanding. When it makes no sense to be at peace, that's the time that we're called and, and given the, the power and the opportunity by the Holy Spirit to be at peace. And so I want to say to you, there is a place of peace ready and waiting for you, regardless of the storms that are surrounding you. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today, because there is a pathway to get to that peace. And the pathway to get to that peace is to listen to the voices that draw you into peace. Listen to the voice that beckons you to that peace, even if nothing circumstantially would make sense for that peace to exist. And the way to do this, one one really simple way to do this, is to listen to the voice of God in Scripture. And this is more than just reading Scripture, because we can read and read Scripture and then kind of interpret it to 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 point to things that we want it to point to. This is about reading Scripture in in silence and in meditation and letting Scripture do the talking as we listen and learn from what the Holy Spirit is revealing to us in that. Now, last week, I had the opportunity to have a conversation with Mark Brumley, who's the president of Ignatius Press. They've recently put out a new journaling and note-taking Bible. And so we talked a little bit about this specific edition, the, the benefits of journaling, and in specific, the benefits of being able to go back at a, at a later time and look at what the Holy Spirit spoke to us in a previous day. So let's go ahead and now listen to that conversation. Mark, thank you for joining us today. I'm happy to be with you. So we're talking about a, a very specific Bible today. It's brand new out. It is the the Ignatius, uh, the RSV 2CE note-taking Bible. Uh, it's a yes. lovely little, uh, feels great in the hand and uh, has ample, ample, what, two inches in the margins for notes on every single page. And I have to tell you, this came in the mail. I opened it and I was able to uh, to peruse it for about, 15 minutes before this was stolen from me by my wife who, who has co-opted uh, exclusive use of it now. So um, I have, I've wrenched it from her hands for the purpose of tonight's interview. Uh, and then I'll probably have to give it back so she can, can continue her use of it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, there's a number of different things. This is not typically a, a Bible review or really any kind of a review program. We generally, this is an interview thing. Uh, and so I want to go in that direction of it rather than reviewing this and talk a little bit about um, the origins of this Bible and its various iterations, and then also about the place of journaling and praying with the scripture in our Catholic tradition. So if you go through the the, the aisles of a typical Christian, Protestant Christian bookstore, you will see, or even your Barnes and Noble, you'll see volume upon volume of different Bibles for teens and moms and different translations. And and when you look up Catholic Bibles, it's a much smaller pool to draw from. And so I wanted maybe to, since you've gone through the process of publishing, talk with you a little bit about why is it that on the Catholic side, we have so many fewer versions of Scripture and so many different options within those versions of Scripture for study and, and, and so forth. Hmm. Why do we have so many, why do we have fewer versions? You mean like translations? Yes. Right. 
Uh, <laughs> well, um, I think the present situation where there really is a dominant translation in English in America, the New American Bible, and now there is a, a kind of secondary, not as significant, but a growing uh, secondary translation, which is the RSV Catholic edition or the RSV 2 CE. They're very similar. Um, I think that that situation is largely a function of the U.S. bishops wanting to have, well, that they have the Bible translation of their own, New American Bible. Right and wanting to have a single Bible translation used for the lectionary, you know, from which Bible readings are, come at Mass. So mm -hmm. I think that has tended to, um, until fairly recently, uh, make Bible publishers hesitant about pursuing other translations. If you're, what's the point? The New American Bible is the one you hear at Mass, so that's the one that we should, we should publish if we're gonna publish the Bible. Well, you know, Ignatius Press back in the 1990s decided that it was going to publish, you know, the famous Blue Bible, which I have around here somewhere. Um, you can't, people on the radio can't see it. People can't, <laughs> people who are listening to this can't see it. But it's the famous Blue Bible, the Ignatius Bible, that was just simply the RSV Catholic edition. And it was really made popular by Father Fessio, the founder of Ignatius Press, and Mother Angelica. Mother Angelica often read from it on, on television. And there were a number of people, you know, I think when we were looking at putting together Bible translation, Father Fessio asked Scott Hahn, who was a recent convert, you know, well, which translation would you recommend? Uh, and Scott recommended the RSV Catholic edition. So, and then Father got input from other people too. So at that point, there was a lot of interest in an alternative Catholic edition. And, and, and the bishops hadn't completely switched over to the NAB yet. There was still the Jerusalem Bible. It was still around. It was an approved version and so on. So, but when there, this move came to consolidate and have a single English language translation for the lectionary and kind of have a, a most favored nation status, if you will, for Bible translations, um, a lot of publishers just said, well, you know, we don't see any point to it, but because we don't see a point to having alternatives, but then, you know, Ignatius Press came out with its RSV Catholic edition. I think um, Scepter came out with an RSV Catholic edition. Uh, now there are, you know, I, I probably can't remember all of the publishers that have RSV Catholic editions out. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so there's emerged uh, a renewed interest in alternative translations. The revised Jerusalem Bible didn't seem to take off for whatever reason, um, but it's still out there. Uh, you can get it. Um, so I'd say the current situation is there are fewer translations of the Bible in English for Catholics than you see in the Protestant world, but the number of translations available is increasing. So I, you say, well, okay, what are those? You know, I mentioned the NAB. I mentioned the RSV Catholic edition, the RSV second Catholic edition, now there's the ESV Catholic edition. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there's still the you know, revised Jerusalem Bible. And uh, so it's changing. I think that as more and more Catholics study the Bible, there's going to be a similar phenomenon to what you see in the Protestant world, which is I want to try, you know, if I can't read Greek or can't read Hebrew, I want to try to get 
uh, as close to the original text as I can, and looking at different translations of the Bible often can help. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've said more than you asked. That, no, that's is. fine. You know, the the as I think about it, and I look at the the difference and the discrepancy, uh, I, I'm reminded of this phrase that the Italians have. Uh, traditore, traditore. It's two words that are really close together, uh, and it's kind of a pun, which I'm I'm fond of. Uh, and what it means is that the translator is the traitor, because anytime you take a, an original language and you make a decision about how to translate it, right. you're necessarily choosing one definition of a word over another, and you're losing some nuance because there's no such thing as a true direct translation. So you've got these two different kinds of scripture. You've got um, dynamic equivalence and formal equivalence, which is basically thought for thought versus word for word, um, that that neither one get at the full, um, really, impact of scripture. And so I think in some way, um, as I look at it, the process that's set up for translations is meant to help ensure that what we're getting is as as strong a representation of of the word of God as we possibly can, and you all went through a, an incredible process uh, and, and a stringent process to ensure that the things that you all published in this uh, second edition were uh, the RSV two CE uh, were in conformity with with what the church has handed on through other scriptures. Right. So we we actually worked with the committee and with the Vatican to make sure that our RSV 2CE uh, was in conformity with Liturgicum Authenticum, which was a document that the Vatican had issued regarding liturgical translations of the, of the Bible. Uh, and, and so they reviewed it. And then we also had a number of people that looked at, uh, you know, scholars looked at various things, uh, including this long list of document, long list of changes that the Vatican uh, recommended or proposed, quote unquote, uh, for this. And uh, so that took a lot of time and effort, um, to be honest. Now, you know, there's not a radical difference between the RSV Catholic edition and the RSV second Catholic edition. One of the things that people will immediately see is that the moderate use of these and thou's and thy and thine's that was retained in the RSV whether it's the Protestant or the Catholic edition, that has gone. So in the RSV 2CE, we don't have the these and thou's, even in the limited, you know, direct address of God use that was there in the Revised Standard Version. I mean, by the way, we should say it's the Revised Standard Version because right. not everybody's going to understand what these initials stand for. Um, so that's changed. We got a letter from Peter Kraft, who's one of our authors. He said he really liked the these and dials of the RSV, <laughs> uh, you know, and so he was a little disappointed. But, you know, we, we found a lot of people uh, really like the RSV Second Catholic Edition. It keeps the, the, the majority of the RSV language, uh, updates it slightly to remove the anachronisms. Mm-hmm. does some things to better reflect the liturgical theological tradition of the Catholic Church uh, without making radical changes to the RSV. So, Yeah, and you've done a lot with this. I mean, you've got the, the translation. You put this out, I think, back in 2006. It is now approved in the liturgy for the, the ordinariate. So it right. is used in liturgy in the Catholic Church uh, for right. those who uh, used to be Anglican and now are continuing to worship according to that that structure in the ordinary of the church. 
Um, Beyond that, you've got some wonderful additions out. You've got the uh, Ignatius Catholic Study Bible. The the Didache uh, Study Bible is a a co-publishing between you and the Midwest Theological Forum. Um, All of these take this same foundation of Scripture and present beautiful notes and, and help the average Catholic to come into a deeper understanding of their faith. And that really highlights, I think, the the academic side of reading scripture, which is important. Right. But this edition that we're talking about today that I've got on my hands right here, this uh, Ignatius note-taking and journaling Bible, um, approaches a different side of scripture because there is something to be said for taking the time to, to dig in and study and understand uh, and follow the, the rabbit trails of notes. And then there's something else to sit with it and listen to it and meditate with it and then to write down your thoughts um, this just is a wonderful edition. It, it, you open it up, it lays flat. Uh, it's got a really strong, heavy cover. So if you're holding it in your hand, you can still write on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, really well put together. It's got a little, um, a little elastic band, kind of like one of those old moleskin notebooks. So you right. can keep it closed in, in whatever you're carrying it in. I want to talk a little bit about the process of praying with Scripture and journaling with Scripture, because that might be something that's foreign uh, to a lot of our listeners today. So um, what was the impetus behind this specific edition, and how do you use this Bible that you've recently published? Well, the impetus behind it was for many years that I have been interested in a Bible that could be more uh, useful for taking notes, whether they were exegetical or doctrinal or just personal reflections. So I had my own interest in it. And then Tony Ryan, our marketing director at Ignatius Press, had heard from lots of Catholics who said, you know, what, you know, can we, can we have a Bible where we can take notes, note-taking part of it? And we saw that, you know, in a lot of Protestant editions of the Bible, they had journaling Bibles and, and so on. So uh, this has actually been a project that we wanted to embark on about between five and seven years ago, but because we've had so many things going on with Bibles uh, and so many other things going on, we just were not able to get to it until fairly recently. Um, but that was really it, you know, and we we heard from converts, former Protestants who become Catholic, who wanted wider margins in our Bibles. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you notice in the, in the study Bible, the study Bible has wider margins. And then when you get the study Bible booklets, uh, you know, this is an eight and a half by 11 format. People who are listening to this can't see it, but they're very wide margins in the study Bible, uh, especially in the booklets. So that was reflective of, you know, partly my own Protestant background, partly the input that we got from other people. We noticed that there were other Catholic publishers that were starting to do journaling Bibles and, and all of that. So that was really what was behind it. I will say this, um, and there's, it's, our Bible is called the Ignatius Journaling and Note-Taking Bible. And I think it was Cardinal Dolan. I was on, on Cardinal Dolan. So he said, why do you have two names for it? Something like that. And I, and I said, well, you know, the odd thing was that when we did an informal survey, we don't do a lot of market surveys for things. We did a kind of informal survey uh, whether it should be called a note-taking Bible or a journaling Bible. And we found that most women preferred the journaling Bible and most men the note-taking Bible. Now, I'm not trying to make a 
you know, a sexist statement or categorize people sexual in terms of their, their gender. But I will say that was that was the thing. And we we definitely did not want to communicate the idea that this was for one gender or the other. We wanted it to be for both men and women. So that's why we did it. Um, well, and but, first time I came across a, a, a journaling Bible in the Catholic mm-hmm. tradition, it was uh, probably maybe a year, year and a half ago. And one of those other publishers that won't be named right now, yeah. uh, they published one. And then it took about maybe six months to a year before they published the exact same Bible with a different cover and called it the note-taking Bible. That's right. Because <laughs> you you do have this dichotomy of, of right. who is responding to the messaging. Right, yes. And we noted that um, because we've been planning this for a while, we were a little, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a big deal. And we're actually happy that other publishers are doing this too, because it gets more, gets more Catholics mm-hmm. into the Bible. But on your point about uh, the use of this section where you can add your own thoughts, I mean, there, as I say, there, there's the exegetical point where you're studying the interpretation of a particular text and you may want to compare it to another text. Um, and you're just trying to get at, well, what does the text mean? What did the original author mean? And how does what the original authors say here relate to what someone else in the Bible says? So that mm-hmm. that's one aspect of it. Another aspect is, you know, as I say, doctrinal or maybe even apologetical. So you're trying to see the Catholic faith as it's expressed in its doctrines and practices in the Bible. And so you might take a note when you when you read John 6 on the Eucharist, for example, something of that sort. And those are very important and useful ways to approach Scripture. But I think it's also a very important that people uh, bring in a little bit of Lexio Divina, the idea of I'm going to read the Word of God, I'm going to meditate on it, I'm going to let God speak to me through it. Not that God doesn't speak to us through doctrine or mm-hmm. through apologetical arguments, but that he would speak to me more in terms of how does this text apply to the concrete realities of my life right now? Yeah. And being able to journal or take notes in response to that meditation and that reflection can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, you come from a Protestant background, you know, I mean, I, I go back and I read things that I wrote in my Bible 20, 30, 40 years ago. I actually have uh, uh, an open Bible, uh, the new American Standard Version mm-hmm. from my Protestant days. It has all kinds of notes in it. And, and, and I use that as I was journaling, journaling, not journaling, journeying to the Catholic Church. So some of my comments there of uh, my own spiritual struggles are very powerful and insightful, insightful to me, you know, 30, 40 years later. We're talking today with Mark Brumley, who is the president of Ignatius Press, talking about the new Ignatius note-taking and journaling Bible and his experience with journaling and scripture over the course of his life. Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Do you journal your thoughts on Scripture? Tell me about a time that made a difference in your life. There's much more to come right after this as we continue our conversation with Mark Brumley. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and we're talking today with Mark Brumley, who is the president of Ignatius Press. I have bookshelves full of Ignatius Press books that I got before I was doing the radio, uh, and people started sending me books. But nothing compares to the bookshelves, nothing in my house anyway, compares to the bookshelves that are currently sitting behind oh. uh, behind you, Mark. Thank you so much. Well, for- I mean, uh, you, a lot of those aren't Ignatius Press books, by the way. <laughs> you can't see the books in front of me, which there are more Ignatius Press books on this side than yeah. on this side, but that's okay. My, I was having this thought that, you know, you know it's bad. You know your addiction to books is bad when you think, I don't have enough books. What am I going to do? I know. I'll publish some. <laughs> well, I, it is a little bit like, yes, uh, I won't say what it's a little bit like, but my, but it, the point is not lost on my wife. <laughs> I mean, uh, I've always, I've always loved books and, um, you know, I th- think there was a point in my life when I was a book collector, but I'm not a book collector anymore. I'm at a point now where, um, I have to pretty much think that I'm going to use the book. And I know this sounds horribly utilitarian to book lovers, but as you get older, you know, you start to think, uh, you know, so many hours in the day and so many days in the year and so many years left in your life. I'm at the point where I'm going to say, well, I need to really kind of have a justification for taking the resources and, and purchasing that book. But everybody out there listening don't pay any attention to me. Just buy books, regardless of if you're ever going to even look at them, just buy books. You know, I, I saw this thing um, recently, and I don't remember the news source I got it from, but it was talking about the importance of having a book that you have no intention to read yeah. because because it's going to be there and it's going to be in your line of sight. And one of these days, you're actually going to pick it up and yeah. you, you would, you're going to learn something new that you never would have had if you didn't have it laying around. And so yeah. there's benefit to buying a book that interests you, but you really don't expect that you're going to actually. Right. Actually yeah. And I, and I, and I, I still agree with that. I just, <laughs> I, it's like, uh, I have a long going conversation with a number of our authors because, you know, I've written a book and I've written a couple things and over the years. And they said, why don't you write more books? And I said, well, you know what? I I've reached, an, I'm not opposed to writing more books, but I'm at an age now where I'm much more interested in reading and it takes more time to write than it does to read. So and there's so many great books out there. Well, they really enrich me. There, there's that passage in scripture that says of the writing of many books, there is no end, right? So <laughs> someone's going to pick it up. If you don't, if you're not writing the next book, I guarantee someone's coming up behind you and they'll take care of that spot for Surprisingly, you. Surprisingly. And, and fortunately for Ignatius Press, that's true. <laughs> well, and, and these days it seems like becoming a writer is a little bit more accessible. Um, mm. Yeah. The, the, the ready availability of of editors, which if you um, if you don't have an editor, you should get one. I guarantee, if you're the best writer in the world, you still need like yeah. three editors. Right. Uh, and and then there's just a just a plethora of wonderful publishers that that really ought to be approached with this thought that you have. Right. Whatever that thing is that's been kicking around in your mind, I want to encourage you today. Write down a rough outline and go submit it. There's places yeah. on the website for you to be able to submit ideas and submit uh, uh, manuscripts. Now is the time to put that idea into action. As long as it doesn't have to do with your personal prophecies of the end of the world. 
<laughs> as long as it doesn't listen, someone's got, someone's going to publish that. It's just probably not going to be Ignatius Press, right? That's probably true. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about uh, this idea of journaling, and you touched on this in the last segment uh, of taking the time to, with Lexio Divina, sit and and pray with the scriptures, and kind of let the I like to use the term to marinate in the scriptures, mm. uh, and to then write down what comes out. And I have this old New King James Bible from back in high school that that I wrote notes and wherever I could find a space. And this was not a Bible that had any space in it. But you know, in the front in the front cover, there's like a sheet, and that's all covered up. And then like in tiny little margins, I'm writing thoughts. And I'll still go back and look at that and go, you know, I haven't thought about that in a long time, but that's something that I needed to see right now. Because we think when we hear the voice of God or when we have this insight into scripture, I'll never forget this. This is going to stick with me forever, but it doesn't. I mean, even in the scripture, when God is talking to the prophets, he says, hey, write this down, right? And yep. so as we have that and we hear these words from God and we're, we're communing with God on this spiritual level, interacting with scripture, we ought to follow that advice and write it down. And of course— the uh, Ignatius note-taking and journaling Bible gives you ample space to do that. Uh, talk a little bit more about this process that you've gone through, uh, and maybe as you've interacted with the old Bibles that you were mentioning before, what is it like for you after you've written down to come back and approach those same scriptures with your previous thoughts? Um, I would say it's, you know, I go back and I read these things and I see a couple of things. One, I see a certain naivete. You know, when I when I was a very young man and uh, as a young evangelical exploring scripture, and uh, there was a kind of simplicity um, there that had its positive side and its negative side. And the negative side is it tended to be simplistic. Uh, things were much more involved. The scripture is much deeper than I supposed. Um, but nevertheless, you know, because it's the word of God, it can be approached at different levels, di different depths. So going back through my own thoughts, uh, I see what I was really worried about when I was a teenager reading the Bible. Uh, nowadays, you know, having converted to the Catholic Church and having been, you know, for at least a time engaged in apologetics on a professional level and worked at Catholic Answers, um, I was very doctrinal and involved in apologetics, but just seeing how the spiritual concerns of my life that weren't so much doctrinal or apologetics were dominant, you know, re reminds me why I got into things like apologetics, you know, and I really wanted to help people know God. And that it wasn't just about winning arguments or, or trying to be, clever and contentious, there's a real desire to help people experience what I had experienced. So going back to my old notes, I, that comes out more clearly. Mm -hmm. um, and also just things that, you know, in the, in the mid-1970s, I'm a little older than you, but in the mid-1970s that were sort of popular spiritual concerns uh, at that time, I see that reflected there. When you go into the 80s, one of the things that I was really um, 
concerned about in the late 70s as I was thinking about the Catholic Church, but just as I was living an evangelical life, uh, I was concerned about the rise of what later came to be called the health and wealth gospel. Mm -hmm. And so I could see in my notes when I came across a passage that had to do with suffering or sickness or poverty, you know, I would make a note of that and say, you know, how's this square with, and I'd have some references to particular preachers who were pushing the health and wealth gospel at that time. So, you know, that's one of the great things about journaling and note-taking in your Bible, that you can revisit these things. And some of which you will, you will say, well, that's not so pertinent to me anymore. But, but some other things may be pertinent. And even the things that aren't still pertinent, there's a value in recalling where you were in your yeah. spiritual life at that time and thanking God for helping you see things there and moving you to where you are now. You know, in one of my favorite hymns, and I was in, in music ministry when I was in the Protestant church, uh, is Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Oh, yeah. uh, we sing it yeah. sometimes, but there's this phrase, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. Um, and Ebenezer is this stone pile saying, it's a, it's a way marker saying, hey, I'm going to put this here as a reminder that we made it this far, right? Yeah. Um, and so in, in some ways, what you're describing is going back and looking for those Ebenezers to say, you know, this is where I was, and now I can look at the distance between me and that and recognize what spiritual progress has been made in the intervening years. Wow, that's great. I'll, I'm going to rip that off. Please do. You're going you're to hear me out there speaking something on the radio or on TV or something, and it'll come from you. I'll try <laughs> to remember to give you credit. No, no need. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit more about your this journal. You, you mentioned in the first segment um, this new American Bible, Protestant Bible that you had, and the journey that you took into Catholicism. Set the stage for us of, of when that was and, and how these notes have maybe impacted your spiritual journey on this side of your conversion. Right. So uh, this has been back in the early to mid-70s uh, when I started shopping around for Bibles. I come from, I'm sort of a double convert. You know, I'm a con convert to evangelicalism and a convert from evangelicalism to Catholicism. I started out as a nun. Oftentimes when I get my testimony, I say, I used to be a nun, you know? <laughs> people say, really? A nun? Oh, boy, gee, this is, we live in interesting times, don't we? Um, N-O-N-E, not N-U-N. Um, I was a South St. Louis unaffiliated theist. I believed in God. My parents taught me to believe in God and all of that, but they were unchurched. I was unchurched and so on, but I had a hunger to know God. I remember when I was 10 years old going to the library with my mom and I went over to the section where they had Bibles, right? And uh, I decided I wanted to check out a Bible on my mom, but because it was a Bible, it wasn't in the children's section. I couldn't check it out without her authorization. So we go up to the desk and the librarian is there and plop down the Bible and the librarian says, okay, says to mom, is okay that he checks us out? She says, yes, of course, she's completely and totally and utterly embarrassed. Hmm. Why? Well, the fact that her son is checking out a Bible implies that she doesn't have a Bible at her, in her home, which we didn't. And so she's completely and totally embarrassed by that. So, but um, 
so very shortly after that, she bought me a Bible. And uh, of course, what Bible translation? Well, I had uh, some older ladies up the street from me had given me today's English version, Pocket New Testament. Hmm. And I'd read that. I loved it. You know, it was very easy for me to understand. Yeah. I was just a, a kid, basically. Um, but as I was kind of maturing, I realized, or at least I thought of it, although the new English version isn't represented as this, I interpreted it as a child's Bible. Hmm. So I wanted something more mature. Right. So I got one of these little Gideon, you have one around here somewhere, New Testaments, King James Version. Right. So I went from today's English version <laughs> to the King and like I did not have a clue what was being said. These and thousands, thousands, thus saith and all that. Um, but I, you know, I soldiered through that. And then finally I said to my mom, I need a, I want to get a Bible. Would you buy me a Bible? And she said, Sure. And what, so she went to the bookstore and they, you know, she was, you had the, you know, the King James version, you had today's English version, you had the living Bible, you had the new American standard Bible, you had the RSV. Uh, I think this was before the new international version, but there was uh, the new English Bible. There was the Jerusalem Bible. There was the early new American Bible, which is the Catholic edition. I can't remember what all the other uh I think there was actually still on the market what's called an American Standard Version of the Bible. So we had all these different Bible translations, and she came back. She said, I don't know which one to buy. Which one do you want? So I went to her with her the next, next time, and I settled on the New American Standard Bible. Not the New American Bible, which is right. the Catholic translation. The New American Standard Bible, which was um, a Protestant revision of the American Standard Version, which had been done in the early 20th century, which was an update of the King James Bible. Mm -hmm. And so I fell in love with the New American Standard Bible. I read that. Genesis to Revelation, I marked it up. And well into my period of time when I, I was exploring Catholicism, I continued to use that Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when I go back in my notes, then I see, you know, I've got questions where I'm, I remember the Immaculate Conception, you know, so different verses of the Bible. How does this, how does the Immaculate Conception fit with this? Uh, the Eucharist and John 6, you know, and I, I remember um, being really challenged by John 6 as an evangelical. And so I wanted to make sure that every time I read John 6, I didn't think of it as a Catholic. So I wrote how I was supposed to think about it as a Protestant. You know, when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he means study the scripture. Hmm. So I wrote that down so I would not grapple with that issue every time I, I went through John 6. And so, but then over time, I, I, you start to see, you know, the, there's a kind of a Catholic evolution uh, to my thinking. Uh, so then when uh, I remember in, um, when I was reading Ephesians, where it talks about the church, the Christ is the cornerstone of the church, but the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Um, I remember having the question, well, 
wait a minute, the apostles are also foundations of the church. You know, and then, so that made me think a little differently about Matthew 16, 18, where yeah. Jesus calls Peter the rock, what you build this church. Anyway, these are just kind of, you know, you asked the question. These are kind of things that as I've gone back through my notes in my Bible that affect my uh, conversion experience and I've thought about over the years. All right. You can do it yourself by uh, by picking up the Ignatius note-taking and journaling Bible and taking the time to sit with Scripture, meditate on Scripture, maybe take this into adoration with you as you sit before the Blessed Sacrament, Excellent. and take some time to write down your thoughts. What do you hear the Holy Spirit saying to you as you engage with these passages of Scripture? Maybe if, with your study, well, I've got the Ignatius study Bible booklets beside you. Go through and see what the scholars are saying and take the time to write down your thoughts as these milestones so that as you progress on your spiritual journey, you can go back and revisit these places, these memories of seeing the ways that God has revealed himself to you and opened you up more to growth in the spirit. And so, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and sharing with us about this whole this whole process the, of of. The, the new version, the, the RSV 2CE, uh, the Ignatius Study Bible, and then this note-taking journal Bible. Well, I'm happy to be with you, and I just want to leave people with the observation, God will speak to you when you read Scripture and you are docile to the Spirit, and He will speak to you in a way that allows you to take fruitful notes and make fruitful journaling entries that can have a lifelong spiritual benefit. If you missed any part of my conversation with Mark Brumley or you want to listen to it again, go back and, and think through some of the things that he said, or maybe you want to share it with one of your friends on social media, uh, all of our episodes are archived over at Outside the Walls. And you can do all those things right there, outsidethewalls.com. Uh, you can listen to it again, share it with your friends from there. Uh, maybe you want to subscribe to it. So it always comes to your your specific um, podcast aggregator, maybe on your phone, uh, so that you, if you can't make it to the radio dial one specific week, you don't miss an episode. It's still just right there waiting for you to engage with. And if you want more, well, there's always more. We always have an extra segment with our guest uh, and that's available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Our support community at Patreon helps us keep the show on the air, helps us keep bringing you these interviews week after week. And if that's something that you want to be a part of, uh, for about $5 a month, same as a price of coffee from, from Starbucks, you can get a full month's worth of extra content. Uh, and so you can do that by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, looking up at the top right-hand corner of the page where you see the Patreon hyphen support the show link. Uh, just click on that and follow the directions. Uh, go over. There's some segments that are up and available to the public if you want to get a sense for what they are like. And then come be a part of that, that community and get this week's extra segment with Mark Brumley. Speaking of listening to Scripture, now let's turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. You can get your own Verbum Library at Verbum.com. Try it free for 30 days. Um, our reading from church, from Scripture today uh, is going to come from the Gospel of Matthew, but there were so many to choose from uh, that it was it was kind of hard to pick. There's the, the whole passage um, of you can't serve two masters. You either love one and hate the other or serve one and despise the other. So uh, there was that one. We could have gone there. We are not going to. Uh, there, there were, 
man, I tell you, I just I'm going through and looking at the various readings that we had. Uh, occupied. There's the, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, no, we're not going to go there with that one either. Um, there were just so many that could speak to us in our particular place in light of the conversation we had and in light of all that's gone on in the world uh, over the last couple of weeks. We're going to go to this one in, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Jesus told his disciples this parable. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones, when taking their lamps, brought no oil with them. But the wise brought flasks of oil with their lamps. Since the bridegroom was long delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, No, for there, there may not be enough for us and you. Go instead to the merchants and buy some for yourselves. While they went off to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. Then the door was locked. Afterwards, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he said in reply, Amen, I say to you, I do not know you. Therefore, stay awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, and this is what it says to me. What are you filling your lamps with? What are you going to have that's going to burn brightly in your lamp in the midst of the darkness? This goes back to how are you being, what what voices are you listening to? How are you being fed? What is the fuel of your hope? Well, here I would say that the fuel of our hope needs to be the voice of God. There are some other voices that, that fuel, they burn brightly, they, they, you know, as we look at, at the darkness surrounding us, they might provide a certain kind of a light, but it is not a light that will last, and it is certainly not a light that will last long enough to see the promises of Christ revealed. So you and I need to be like those wise virgins to bring along with us fuel uh, that, will, that will last, to bring along and to be prepared for the darkness when it comes and I would, I would propose to you that the only fuel that will suffice for that is the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the voice of God that we hear through prayer, through meditation, and through Scripture. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a notebook on prayer by Origen. This comes also out of the, the breviary. Uh, it's for the Feast of, of Christ the King, which is coming up very soon. But I, I wanted to go ahead and jump a couple of weeks ahead and bring it here today because I think that it is important for us uh, in our present circumstances. The kingdom of God, in the words of our Lord and Savior, does not come for all to see. Nor shall they say, Behold, here it is, or Behold, there it is. But the kingdom of God is within us. The word of God is very near, in our mouth and in our heart. Thus it is clear that he who prays for the coming of God's kingdom 
praise rightly, to have it within himself, that there it may grow and bear fruit and become perfect. For God reigns in each of his holy ones. Anyone who is holy obeys the spiritual laws of God, who dwells in him as in a well-ordered city. The Father is present in the perfect soul, and with him Christ reigns, according to the words, We shall come to him and make our home with him. Thus the kingdom of God within us, as we continue to make progress, will reach its highest point when the apostles' words are fulfilled, and Christ, having subjected all his enemies to himself, will hand over his kingdom to God, the Father, that God may be all in all. Therefore, let us pray unceasingly with that disposition of soul which the Word may make divine, saying to our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Note this too about the kingdom of God. It is not a sharing of justice with iniquity, nor a society of light with darkness, nor a meeting of Christ with Belial. The kingdom of God cannot exist alongside the reign of sin. Therefore, if we wish God to reign in us, in no way should sin reign in our mortal body. Rather, we should mortify our members which are upon the earth and bear fruit in the Spirit. There should be in us a kind of spiritual paradise where God may walk and be our sole ruler with his Christ. In us, the Lord will sit at the right hand of that spiritual power which we wish to receive. And he will sit there until all his enemies who are within us become his footstool. And every principality, power, and virtue in us is cast out. All this can happen in each one of us, and the last enemy, death, can be destroyed. Then Christ will say, O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? And so what is corruptible in us must be clothed in holiness and incorruptibility. And what is mortal must be clothed, now that death has been conquered, in the Father's immortality. Then, God will reign in us, and we shall enjoy even now the blessings of rebirth and resurrection. That reading comes from the Feast of Christ the King from a homily from a notebook on prayer by Origen. And it's easy for us to look at the situation around us in the world and want to see Christ conquer and rule in society. But the way to that happening is for a first for him to rule and reign in us. And then the kingdom of God will be realized in our lives and through our lives. That's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's show is brought to you uh, by Richard, Richard Jones, and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. 
God alone suffices.